There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I have a relative who has just gone off to university and he says to me, I don't understand. I have to take credit out to get credit. Why don't you just look at my bank statement? You can see how I'm behaving. Well, that's great. That's exactly what we do. At Direct ID, we focus on categorizing transactions that are of particular interest to risk decision makers. So what we were able to do is to bridge the gap from unsupervised learning, where you don't have any labels, to supervised learning, where you do have a label. So the idea is lenders can use this from today already and make a decision and set their cutoffs. But we are also busy gathering more and more performance data And with the performance data, we can build the next iteration of the model. I'm going to be honest with you. It's the end of the year, and I'm pretty tired. I produce this show alongside my real job, alongside speaking and consulting and training work, alongside my wife's new job and her new master's degree, and alongside the seemingly ever-growing pile of admin that accumulates. But There is a silver lining, at least for me, and that's that as you listen to this, I will already be in South Africa enjoying a warm Christmas holiday for the first time in a while. The kids will be horse riding on the beach, swimming with penguins. We will be drinking nice wine and eating in the sort of restaurants we couldn't afford in the UK. And soon we'll be sitting with my younger brother in his backyard, watching the giraffes walk by while we bry. It's going to be a fantastic break. And it's going to be a real break as well. Previously, I've stockpiled episodes and released them while I was away, but not this time. It's all pencils down. So we have an episode today, of course, and it's a good one. We're looking at open banking and how to create credit scores in an environment with very little outcome data. And next week, we've got a great episode. We'll be rounding out 2023 with a look at agile decision systems, but then I'm taking all of January off. Please don't unsubscribe from the show. We are going to be back strong on the 1st of February with a look at lending in Japan in the first of another exciting series of interviews that I am already lining up. So do stay for those. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Claire McCaffrey, Chief Commercial Officer at Direct ID. Welcome to the show. Maybe as a start to our discussion here, could you give us an overview of what Direct ID is doing? Direct ID is an open banking platform that specializes in credit and risk decisions. It's been established about 12 years, and actually, Direct ID built the first AISP license in the world and had petitioned for open banking regulation. So it's highly regulated in the UK. This means that most banks have to connect the consumer to the AISP if the consumer and the end user gives consent. In terms of open banking, when I describe it, I probably don't do it justice. We can think of it in this very simplest way of just providing permission for somebody to look directly at your bank account. So you don't need to be 
a middleman printing out statements and handing them over. But in doing so, there's also a lot more data than a statement would hold, a lot fresher data. So it's more than just replacing statements from the old days. What are we seeing coming out of open banking when we talk about the data products that it enables? Yeah, pulling of bank statements is a very basic use case just to get that, just to get speed of an application process, for example, where that manual intervention by the end user is removed. So the consumer can go through a journey with an AISP, click on consent, and then all of that bank statement data is is pulled into our ecosystem. They give consent generally for 90 days, and then they can extend that consent through a prompt. They can revoke consent at any time. But actually, I think raw data has become a little bit of a commodity. So that's actually what we do with it. So we create something that's meaningful to a risk decision maker, predicting likelihood of future financial impairment. And then the lender can take early intervention. You can see whether a portfolio is declining over time, and then you can take early intervention to prevent that. And then, of course, there's some basic insights, if you like, like categorization, where the consumer is spending their money, or the SME, in fact, and how they're spending it. So there's lots of insight-driven aspects to what we do at Direct ID. And then ultimately, our mission is to create a credit score. And we're starting with a credit risk score at the point of application, but we have an aspiration to build scores throughout the credit life cycle. So we can you know, build something for account management, collections, a score to predict will a consumer or the SME self-cure, for example, so you don't need to spend any time and money in the collections process. So right throughout the credit life cycle, we can use bank statement data to predict a an intention or a future action from the consumer. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot about credit scoring because we're at the Credit Scoring and Credit Control Conference here in Edinburgh. But for me, one of the big things with open banking is that credit cards developed as a credit product by necessity because it took 30 days to get the details of the transaction, bundle it up, send it as a paper statement to the customer, have them send a check back. We needed that time to get everything done, and therefore it was a credit product. But actually, to the user, for many people, it was just a spending tool. And now we're seeing e-wallets, debit cards, and such take over. And a lot of the potential value, particularly on good customers who don't miss payments, is at risk in some markets more than others of moving off credit cards and disappearing from the traditional credit world. So I think it is anyway the future, but there's also more opportunities with that that come also some of that systematic you don't need a middle party that your bank reports the data to and makes agreement to you give permission and the open banking data is there and i think if we bring it to kind of the topics that was presented here at the conference looking at other ways to use this data to fill in gaps that would have traditionally prevented us from modeling i'll turn over to Jakobus Ekstein who's CEO at Matagen Consulting, who have got a wide range of experience in, in traditional and new ways of credit scoring. Thanks. Yeah, my background is credit risk. And I did my MBA, so I see myself as kind of a bridge between the business world and the technical credit scoring world. So we do general decision science consulting across different industries like financial services, agriculture, healthcare, industrials. But my Bread and butter and passion has always been the credit scoring. 
and trying to see how we can make a difference using that. So, I mean, it's amazing to have partners like Direct ID that have the vision to, to do that as well. So the big challenge we had was the lack of outcome data. So we understand what the variables are for a person, but we don't understand how they will pay a loan. So we had to develop a technique to try and determine how to score this person if we don't have any outcome. So generally what people do is they have experts look at both the variables and how the variables should be weighted. But that brings bias into the process because it's very subjective. So in this technique we call the U-score, we were able to tell the expert that they should just identify a variable and just identify the direction in which it should rank. For example, say the ratio of debits to credits. If that ratio is higher, that is bad. Um, Higher income is good. And that is all that the expert needs to do. And then this technique then ranks the entire population and gives them a score that you can really use in your decisioning. But more than that, if you really want, you could say, I expect a bad rate of 10%. You can flag the bottom 10% as bad. Then you can have a binary outcome for a traditional credit risk model approach, the so-called supervised model. But also in terms of things like fraud, using the open banking data, you can use this tool on any data. So it is really contributing to the larger credit scoring journey that the world is on. In the old way of doing things, there were just built-in time delays you could not escape. So if you wanted to build a score, you would need a year to get outcomes, and you would need maybe a bit more than that because you want to get the volumes up, you want to look for a few months. This is a way to hit the ground running, which is a question that they hear often, like how do I build that first scorecard? And what's interesting to me is that, that mix of experts and statistics. So talk to me a bit, of, if you don't mind, without scaring people off with the statistics too much, about what this U-score, what it is. We take all the variables that we know from expert experience would be predictive, like income, like ratio of debits to credits, like variance in income, diversity in income sources. And then we rank the entire population and say, Person A is strictly better than person B on all accounts. And I think we could potentially add more detail to the podcast link, but the idea is then that you assign a score to the entire population in that way, and you know this person is better than that person given these variables or has a lower probability of default. And then you can rank the entire population and use that score directly or choose a certain cutoff. But you can also link it to something else. So what we have done at Direct ID was to link it to a negative account balance in 90 days as a form of validation. And that worked really well in predicting that. Even though that outcome of a negative balance in 90 days is not performance and alone, it's still an outcome that you might say that is a bad. So it just allows you to go from absolutely no labels to a label, but you can still use your judgment to determine what that label linked to the U-score should be. So what happens when you start rolling out that first model and you start gathering actual performance data? So this model will rank really well, and we know it'll predict, for example, negative balance in 90 days really well. But first prize is actual performance data to be able to link it to a probability of default. So the idea is lenders can use this from today already, and make a decision and set their cutoffs. But we are also busy gathering more and more performance data. And with the performance data, we can build the next iteration of the model that links to a specific probability of default. So this first version of the model, we've seen ranks well, and it 
is predicting a negative balance in 90 days very well. But the next step is to use actual performance data and calibrate it to an actual probability of default. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So the current model is usable. But if there is a certain lender that wants an accurate probability of default in their portfolio, then that is the next step. And there will be a generic model that does that, but also bespoke models that focus on the risk appetite of a certain lender could be done as well. We're absolutely flexible. But the point is, I mean, we can be flexible to be able to provide descriptive, predictive, and prescriptive solutions to anybody that can gain from open banking data. And to be honest, I cannot think of any institution that won't be able to gain. We have worked with a corporate bank in South Africa with transactional fraud, but they could only identify 80 accounts where they knew it was fraudulent. So we were able, with a U-score, to build a model and then validate how well it works to identify the 80 accounts, even though they weren't enough to build a model. But I think generally, once you have the open banking data, you can do anything that you would be able to do with something like bureau data. But a lot of the value that you see at the end from your model is just based on the upstream journey, making sure you have good, clean data, making sure you have good categorization, making sure you have good features that were built, and making sure the model doesn't overfit. You don't want to label a customer as fraud, right? So there's a consumer who took a loan out there's no evidence they ever intended to pay it. But to label that account as fraud would introduce a whole lot of risk from a reputation and a legal point of view. So we would in-house know that this is in all likelihood a customer who acted fraudulently, but perhaps we haven't taken it all the way to court and proven it legally. So we wouldn't mark it in, in a system. But we may want to model for that. And that's Having a tool like this is, is great for that because we don't then need to flag and say, you are definitely fraud in our opinion, but we can still use that internal expertise and say, yeah, let's have a look at these cases that are suspicious. What do we think makes them suspicious and start modeling? So there are many ways uh, beyond just building the first scorecard in an emerging market that this approach could help. Yeah, so what we often see is that fraud alerts are rules-based and there are many flaws in that approach. Yes, you need black and white rules but often the rules become too complicated and then what many banks end up with is volumes that are so high that are flagged as high risk of any money laundering or fraud but the team just can't investigate it. 
So this allows you to um, almost have a risk of fraud and you can set your cutoffs so that your team can investigate it and it is acceptable. You can have different cutoffs for different use cases and not have a one-size-fits-all approach. And that is why, for example, the probabilities and the conferences in the open banking classification is so important as well. Because for one use case, you might be happy with a 50% confidence. In another one, you need 90%. So it's not just about the classification or not just about the fraud flag, but also about the level of confidence and allowing the client to be able to choose it and select it and have that level of control. We are at the credit control conference <laughs> as well. But I think everybody's got some experience either in a new market where they have no data or a change of strategy and the data we wanted just wasn't captured. But Claire, if I move it back to you quickly, there's a lot of potential in the, the open banking space. So where are we seeing the biggest take-up in, in markets? So I think it's an addition to improve models. You know, the more data, the better. So this is an additional data source. But there is additional information that you can find on a bank statement data that you can't find on a credit bureau file, right, apart from just thin files. So, for example, not all BNPL lenders contribute data to a credit bureau. And yet, you know, the young population is reliant more and more on those facilities. And so, so they become over-leveraged. It is also in real time. And lenders can refresh this data four times a day so they can see the delta from 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock. You can also see movements that perhaps is an indication that somebody's moving into a distressed situation. Are they spending less money on going out? Uh, you know, are they having less disposable income? Are they moving supermarkets or moving products to your own brands? So there's lots of information that I think you can get in real time. But clearly, you, you can infer missed payments from bank statements, but you're not getting that information. It's an inference rather than something solid from the credit bureau. So I think they work hand in hand. Somebody's missed a payment. I mean, that's gold standard credit risk data to say this is a risky person. But if we imagine a typical credit card situation, I might be paying off my full balance. I go into the store, I make that one last purchase that was the one that tipped me over. I then change to minimum payment. I start paying minimum payments until that becomes unbearable. And finally, I miss a payment and then it gets rolled up into a cycle and finally reported to the credit bureau and incorporated into a score. There could be six months, 12 months between when my behavior changed and when that's reflected in my credit score. I think what's also interesting obviously, is the, the characterizing uh, of the spend. It was a dream when I was in a credit card issuer. Oh, if only we could see what the person had spent from. We knew the merchant code, but groceries are, yeah, it could be many things. But actually being able to see right what's happening. Yeah, and at Direct ID, we focus on categorizing transactions that are of particular interest to risk decision makers. If someone's spend on gambling as a proportion of their income increasing, that's a red flag. The spend on collections agencies. And we also provide a confidence score to each transaction, to each category. So we're saying actually we're 80% confident that that transaction fits into this category. And all of that data can feed into a predictive model, right? So you could weight the category by the confidence level. Yeah, and the UK is kind of one of the, the hopes of open banking. But actually, if you looked at it from a credit bureau point of view, it's got one of the richest credit bureau data sets. There's already current accounts on the bureau, telcos on the bureau, BNPLs, some of them at least on the bureau. And even then we see an uplift. Most markets around the world have much thinner bureau 
data and then thinner bureau coverage as well. So direct IDs doing work with open banking around the world. Are you seeing a similar approach around the world or, or how does this change? You know, we're really strong in the UK and the US. We have direct connections and we do have the ability to connect data in around 46 countries across the world. And there are different use cases. For the consumer or the SME, it's about the value exchange, price reduction on an insurance product or the speed to get hold of a mortgage. And then in other markets like India, South Africa, for example, there's a large thin file population. So the access to credit more than the uplift. It's just a great way in those markets to leapfrog some of the, the, the structural issues where we can bring people in from outside. And I think that that makes it really interesting. And maybe you could us back to, to the modeling side. How do you look at open banking data? Is it a different problem to traditional data or the same thing once you start modeling? So generally, when I look at any data source, I look at value and cost and friction. Some you can control, some you can't. In South Africa, for example, the banking data has more friction because there are fewer APIs. So more is done with screen scraping. So there you might have to pull the cost lever to make it more valuable for lenders. That also determines where you're using it in your decisioning. In general, any data set that is predictive and has a low degree of correlation with another data set should be useful in modeling. So it's very much dependent on the use case, on the budget, on the lift and the friction. Um, But I'm very excited about the potential for open banking data in conjunction with the credit bureau because the credit bureaus tell you what someone is not doing and the open banking data tells you what they are doing. And you need to be able to see that entire picture to make a fair decision. Yeah, and Claire, I just want to finish with, with one last thing I probably should have started with. Jakob has talked about friction, and I guess what we've seen in the UK is that people have been very comfortable. But do we have any numbers that talk to how comfortable consumers have been in adopting open banking and allowing lenders or institutions in general to see their data via open banking? We spent a lifetime telling people, don't give your bank details away, and then here's direct ID saying log in with your bank details. Actually, we don't see the bank details, of course. We don't see their, how they log in. We just see the transactions. But I think it does come back to that value exchange, what's in it for the consumer. But um, it varies from geo to geo, and it varies on factors like how reliable is the connection with the bank. But in the UK, we can see conversion rates of around 80%. Actually, we uh, work with one global lender, but in the UK, the conversion rate is 80%. Claire, if people are are listening and wanting to learn a little bit more about open banking and direct ID and the work you're doing in the UK but around the world, where's a good place for them to go and learn more and get in touch? Direct.id. You can come see me on LinkedIn and we're at loads of credit risk events. Yeah, or just register on the website and one of our guys will get in touch. Great. And Jakobus, same thing. If people want to speak to Matogen, how do they do that? And I guess in particular, if they want to look at this research you've done on the U-score and creating a a scorecard without performance data, where can they go to do that? Thank you. And yeah, we're calling this U-score approach supervising learning. And there is an abstract that we sent to the credit scoring control conference and a whole presentation. And they can reach out to direct ID if they want to know more about the credit score. And they can go to our website, ai.mathogen.com. 
for more information or to reach out to us or just to have a discussion or add us on LinkedIn. Um, I've been in the industry for 16 years in thinking about good people and bad people, but it's actually all good people, but some are just in, in bad situations, like they say. Great. Well, thank you both for joining me. It's been really interesting. And I think for me, the more I've got to know about open banking, the more I love it. But this is the first time I've thought about scoring or building a score portfolio without performance data, but also in a structured mathematical way. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.